Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today, we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each one of us. Peace be with you. Friends, the story conveyed in our first reading for this weekend is from the second book of Maccabees, and it's a story that just resonates up and down the ages, and one that stirs our hearts today. It sounds in some ways like it's taken right out of the headlines of today. The historical setting for this text is, I'd say, depressingly familiar to us. So ancient Israel had been overrun by the Greek culture, to kind of oversimplify, a king called Antiochus IV Epiphanes. He was descended from one of the generals of Alexander the Great, and he had come to dominate Jewish land. So the the bottom line is that it's a a political force of a kind of a Greek cultural background, which has now come to dominate uh, the land of Israel. And so what the, um, the king tries to do is to impose Greek culture and Greek religion on the Jews. Now, you see what I mean when I say this is kind of depressingly familiar the story of kind of cultural aggression, religious imposition, etc. It led him to desecrate the temple in Jerusalem. So if you're a biblical Jew, uh, there was no place on earth more sacred than the Jerusalem temple. And so for Gentiles, for foreigners to come in to put uh, their own symbols and idols and so on, that was pretty offensive stuff. He also erected a Greek-style gymnasium where people would exercise in the nude. And this was, of course, deeply offensive to an Israelite uh, mentality. He also was compelling young Israelites to cover up the mark of their circumcision and to eat pork. So again, it was a very aggressive move to take all the distinctive elements of Jewish culture and eliminate them and to Greekify them. You might say a kind of ethnic cleansing, a kind of cultural erasure was underway. You know, those who are students of uh, the life of John Paul II will know that Poland, over the course of really a couple of centuries, went through a similar process as a whole series of conquerors from both East and West overran Poland and really tried to erase Polishness. Anyway, in our story now from the ancient world, things came to a head when these Greek, I'll call them like bully boys, came to an Israelite town and forced Jews to eat pork. Some did, some resisted. A man named Mattathias was so filled with zeal that when a Jew who was willing to cooperate with the Greeks came forward to eat pork and to make the sacrifice, Mattathias killed him. And then he and his five sons fled to the hills, and they fomented an uprising. This is the famous Maccabean uprising. So read the, the books of Maccabees, and you'll hear this, this story. And it's really it's a kind of a thrilling story. 
I've told some people who are just getting into the Bible to begin with Maccabees, because it's a very rich, exciting story. By the way, at the climax of, of the rebellion was the cleansing of the temple. So when the Israelites retook the Jerusalem temple, they first were, were horrified by what they saw, and then in a very reverent way, they cleansed and they purified and rededicated the temple. We still remember this in the great Jewish feast of Hanukkah, which is coming up soon, right? Right around Christmas time. Well, during this extremely painful period of Jewish history, the tale told in our first reading unfolded. A mother and her seven sons were arrested, tortured, and they were being compelled to eat pork against their uh, conscience. When they refused, the sons were, one by one, executed in the presence of their mother. Now, you know, again, awful, terrible, heart-rending story. And, as I say, as contemporary as today's headlines. Just a year ago, in the February of 2015, a group of Coptic Christians, so ancient uh, church in Egypt, group of Coptic cops were arrested by ISIS forces in Libya, where the men had gone looking for work. They were dragged out of their beds, held captive for many days, during which time they were told to renounce their Christian faith. They all refused. And so, and we probably remember these, these awful photographs, they were led to the beachfront of the Mediterranean, the beachfront in Libya, by ISIS operatives. By the way, who were wearing orange jumpsuits meant to mimic the outfits worn by Islamic prisoners at Guantanamo. The locale by the water was not accidental. Their hope, they said, was to mix the blood of their victims with the water that contained the body of Osama bin Laden. Wielding rather brutal-looking knives, they invited their captives once more to renounce their faith. When they refused, their persecutors cut off their heads. It's said that many of the martyrs spoke the name of Jesus as they died. Here's a wonderful detail that I, I discovered as I was rereading uh, about this story. There were 20 uh, Christians, but 21 men were killed. The 21st was a man from Chad, who was not a Christian, but he was a co-worker with these men. He was not a Christian, but he was so impressed by the courage and conviction of his brothers that he said when challenged, their God is my God. And he died along with the others. Don't think for a second the story of, of these Maccabean, these brothers during the Maccabean revolt, that that's some kind of ancient history. That stuff never happens anymore. People are never put to death defending their faith. How about this story from a little further back in time? But it has to do with the most recently canonized saint in the Catholic Church a 14-year-old boy named Jose Sanchez del Rio. Who was this uh, Jose Sanchez del Rio? 
Well, he was an aide to the Cristero army, you know, the army of, of uh, resistors that rose up during the uh, terrible period when an aggressively secular government was massively suppressing the church in Mexico in the 1920s. Read uh, Graham Greene, The Power and the Glory, to get a sense of that time. It's when they were killing priests and nuns, they were burning down churches, they were compelling people to renounce their faith. Well, this kid, Jose Sanchez del Rio, joined the army and, and supported it, not by direct fighting, but he was supportive to it. But he was captured, held prisoner, tortured again and again, against a 14-year-old kid, commanded over and again to renounce his Catholic faith, but he wouldn't do it. Finally, his oppressors lacerated his feet, and they made him walk over the course of several miles to a cemetery on the edge of an open grave. And they said, we've dug your grave, and this is it. On the edge of the grave, they shot him, but not mortally. Lying wounded in agony, this 14-year-old kid was asked once more to renounce his faith. He wouldn't do it. Instead, he said, Viva Cristo Rey! And Viva Nuestro Señor de Guadalupe! And with that, they killed him. Don't tell me the story of the brothers during the Maccabean Rebellion is just, oh, ancient history. That stuff doesn't happen anymore. Terrible stories? Uh-huh. Inspiring stories? Yeah. Stories of courage? Yes, indeed. But they're more than that, everybody. And the Maccabees account tells us why. What the brothers stress over and over again to their persecutors is that they expect a life beyond this one. Let me say it again. The brothers say it. Read the account over and over again. They expect a life beyond this one. What gives the torturers and oppressors in any age their power is the conviction that this life and the goods in it constitute the whole of reality. Therefore, by taking them away, or threatening to do so, tyrants and wicked people up and down the centuries can compel their victims to acquiescence. What inspires the martyrs, what they give witness to, and of course that's what uh, martyr means is witness. What they witness to is the existence of a higher realm, an order of existence beyond this ordinary one. The great line from uh, Brideshead Revisited that the supernatural is the real. That there's a realm compared to which our world is just a shadow. So here's my point now. We can talk about heaven. We can speculate about it. We can write learned treatises about it. 
We can hope for it. But the martyrs up and down the centuries, from the Maccabees until Jose Sanchez de Rio, until the Coptic martyrs in 2015, most vividly witnessed to its reality. Why? Why? Now listen. Because they literally bet their lives on it. You know what I'm saying? That's all there is, this world. Why would you ever do such a thing? Why wouldn't you just cave in? Why wouldn't you acquiesce? They bet their lives on the fact that there's a transcendent reality. Are they crazy? Deluded? Well, you know, those who die in an act of aggression, let's think of suicide bombers or kamikaze pilots, I mean, they might be suffering from some sort of mental illness. But those who accept death rather than renounce their faith, those who accept death rather than renounce their faith, are in point of fact the most clear-sighted, religiously alive, and I would argue most sane among us. Let this story of the Maccabees sink into your hearts. Realize how it resonates very much to our present day. And glory in the fact that all these martyrs up and down the ages witness to the existence of a transcendent realm. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.